I want to open us up in some prayer. God, we want to quiet our hearts before you this morning. God, as we were singing about how you were indescribable. God, you're worthy of worship this morning. That's why we're here. God, we're here from the, the moment that you came, the hope of the gospel that brought us close. So we're here to worship. God, we're here to sit under your word. God, I pray that your spirit would move this morning in the hearts and the minds and the hands of the people here. God, that you'd make us sensitive to your teaching. God, that it wouldn't be my words that are being spoken, but that you would use me, you'd speak through me, God, this morning. God, we are expectant. We look forward to what you are going to accomplish in us this morning. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, it's so good to see a lot of returning people, a lot of moody students, a lot of people coming back from the holidays. Christmas and New Year's are over. Um, Speaking of Christmas, I'm a a huge fan of Christmas, and I actually have some leftover Christmas spirit with me this morning that I am going to uh, invite Zach Jenry to come on up. Now, this just isn't a normal, everyday Christmas present. In this box, it's full of joy, it's full of life, it's full of hope, it's full of strength. This thing is the highest of highs, top stature, all right? You ready? ready. All right, and this is for you, all right? Go for it. Take it out and show us what it is. <laughs> Taco Bell. No, no, no. So it's Taco Bell, but not quite. I want you to tell the people of God here what's in that bag this morning. It's a Crunchwrap Supreme. Say it again. It's a Crunchwrap Supreme. Say it again for the people in the back. It's a Crunchwrap Supreme. All right. That's for you. You can keep it. Uh-huh. It's from yesterday. So if you, if you want to eat it, may the Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> Lord, have his face to shine upon you and give you peace. But that's for you. I dare you. Am I not right? Full of joy, full of strength, full of energy, full of life. Like that will give him life as he leaves this place. But what's more important to me this morning is it's not just a crunch wrap. What is it, Zach? While you're on your way out, what is it? Crunch wrap what? Crunch wrap supreme. I want that word to linger with you on this morning. That word supreme, it takes something from being pretty good, decent, okay. It makes it not even even great. It's not a a great crunch wrap. It is crunch wrap supreme. What does that mean? It is the highest of highs. When you think of a supreme pizza, it's got everything good on it under the sun. You got your sausage your peppers, your onions, your olives. Some of you hate olives. It's got everything on it that you want. Think about another word that comes to mind, Supreme Court. I had to look this up because I knew the word Supreme Court, didn't actually know what they did as an entity. So, um, but they are the ones that make the last call on law, law interpretation. It is a court that is so powerful, its de- decisions cannot be appealed. It's the highest court rulings 
on the, the heaviest of decisions. So it is, it is the supreme court. This is things, things here make their last call. Nothing goes beyond the supreme court. It is the top of the top, all right? So Taco Bell here, it's a marketing tool, right? It, they, they're not actually saying that this is of royal nature, but, it, but it's a marketing tool. It brings your mind away from the fact that Taco Bell is fast food, it's greasy, it's grimy, you regret it later, and it brings it into the sphere of majesty, the crunch wrap supreme, the crunch wrap of crunch wraps. Many of you are looking at your watches waiting to go out to Taco Bell after. I encourage you, go for that. But for this morning, we're talking about what is this word supreme, all right? So it's making a character call. Top of the line, crunch wrap of crunch wraps, worthy of a king. Paul, in this morning's chapter, that we're, we're continuing a series, we're going through Colossians 1. Paul, he, he dives into what this word means, supreme, in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, Colossians 1. Verse 15 through 23, because he's going to dive right in. One of the things that, that Paul's addressing here, I want to give a little bit of context, is false teachings creeping in. John opened this up last week. False teachings that are creeping into the church. It's a new church, right? When this is being written, Jesus was here just like 30 years ago. So this is, this is a new church. And already there's false teachings creeping in. So Paul, he's got to put the kibosh on it right away. So he comes in strong, dives right in after he greets them, says, you know, I'm, I'm always praying for you. Let's dive in right away. So verse 15. This is in the ESV, in case you're wondering. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, get this, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by the flesh of his, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Christ is supreme. He is chief. For my sports enthusiasts out there, he is the GOAT. Who here knows what the goat means? You can explain it to us. Jordan, I'm looking at you. You got us. Greatest of all time. For those non-sports enthusiasts like myself. 
He's the greatest of all time. He's top, top of the line. He is the crunch wrap of crunch wraps. He is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He's not just a king. He's not just a Lord. He's supreme. So Paul continues on and explains. He's like, what is supreme? Well, let me tell you. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, one of the false teachings creeping in is that Jesus, okay, here 30 years ago, hard to deny that he actually existed because that wasn't that long ago. But the false teaching that's coming in is he's a man. He's not fully God. He's powerful, sure. Good teacher, sure. He's a prophet, all those things. We can agree. But not God. Or on the other side, he is God, therefore cannot be man, because as we talked about last week, Gnosticism, this belief that everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is good. So if God is going to be good, he must not be physical. Does that make sense? You track with that? So Paul comes in, says he is the image of the invisible God. Now what does that mean, image? Sometimes you think of a painting, it, of, a, of a landscape. So there's a reality out there. The landscape, oh, it's beautiful. Somebody takes and captures it on paper. And it's just, it's a representation of this amazing thing out there, right? Or I like to think of an ambassador. An ambassador, someone that goes and represents a nation. He can even make certain calls as a nation. Jesus is not this. This is not the image in which Paul is referring to. I like to use this analogy to, to kind of help me understand what we mean by image of the invisible God. A lot of you right now are currently carrying this analogy around on your cell phones. If you go out to lunch with someone who's not a love interest and they reach for the check, what are typically the first words out of the, the mouths of the people around him? What is your, who can finish that sentence? Venmo, do you have Cash App or Quick Pay? Some of you might be like, thanks for lunch. But we have this, this way of sending virtual money. Like, oh, I got to, you know, pay my way. So here's, here's my 20 bucks. Now, something happens there that's worth the lunch. It means something to you. Even though you never, you never see it, you never put your fingers on it. It's, it travels through the atmosphere. I don't know how technology works. But it arrives in your bank and you know, oh, bloop, 20 bucks. They paid me. We're good. But it's when you go to the ATM Slide your card, type your pin, prints out a 20. It's the image. That $20 bill, it, it means everything. It is of the same value, of the same worth as that virtual money that happened through the stratosphere. But now, what's different about it is it's been opened up to the world. And I, I want to I preach on the incarnation here for a second. It is now able to be sent through the wash. How many of you guys are guilty of laundering money? Not like in a criminal sense, but laundering money. I can't tell me how many times I, I find singles in my back pocket, in my jeans. So it now can be washed. It now can be torn. Now it can be dirtied. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He has made himself, it, it, it is possible for him to be dirtied, to put your hands on him, to see, to taste, to feel, just like you do with cash. Don't taste cash. But to be torn, Jesus came down and he allowed himself to be torn. So this is, this is God, fully God, coming down of the same value, of the same worth. Paul says elsewhere, he is of the same nature 
God, the very nature as God, this is Jesus. He's not a painting. He's not a representation. He is God. But we can put our hands on him. He can get torn. That's exactly what he did. So image of the invisible God. Number two, this is under supreme. Christ is supreme. Image of the invisible God. Continue on. Firstborn over all creation. I'm sure the church, church people around this time were like, uh-oh. Did, did Paul just say firstborn? Like born? Like birthed? Like false teachings would have jumped on this. If, if Jesus is born, then he can't be God because he had a beginning. And if God is eternal, Jesus therefore cannot be God. And I think it's a fair point, but I want you to, to remind you that Paul is Jewish here. He's actually the Jew of Jews. So thinking back to the forefathers of Israel, you got Abraham, you got Isaac, you got Jacob. Firstborn here, all it means is rank. That's all it is. He's ranks number one. He's the first. Because Jacob wasn't actually the firstborn, right? If you think back to the Old Testament, he had an older brother who was born first, and Jacob traded that position, that status with his older brother to become the firstborn. So it doesn't have anything to do with like the chronological timing of your birth. It is he ranks number one. The first one would receive a great inheritance from his dad. So that's all that was traded is this status. He is a firstborn. So read that as Jesus is firstborn, comma, ranks number one, comma, over all creation. All right? So not only is Jesus supreme, not only is he the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, but this, this is the big idea for this morning. All right? Jesus, Christ, is the supreme source of salvation. Four S's. We're going to keep an eye on that, all right? Four S's. Supreme source of salvation. So he's supreme. He's firstborn. He ranks number one. He's chief. He's the goat. Above all. Second, number two. Christ is the source. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the source. Now, you think about this, all things. Does he really mean all things? How often in life do we say all things and really just mean a lot of things? Like, I was talking to Isaac last week, and he said, man, Aldi had this avocado sale, 50 cents each, so I went and I bought them all. You bought them all? Well, I bought 25. It's still a lot of avocados. But then I went later that day, and I bought some avocados, so clearly he didn't buy them all, but I understood what he meant. I bought them all. He bought a lot of them. It's hyperbole. Some of us learned that in freshman year of high school. It's, it's a literary device. All, all it does is says it brings emphasis. All things. Not really all things. Paul, is that what you mean here? You actually used hyperbole earlier on in verse 9, looking back to Colossians 1.9. He says, I, let, me, let me read this for you. I never cease to pray for you. Do you think that he actually meant I never cease to pray for you? Paul's like, God, I pray that you be the church in Colossae. Hey, Paul, can I, can I talk to you? No, no, sorry, sorry, I can't, I can't stop praying for them. I told them that I wouldn't stop praying for them. It's ridiculous. He, he actually, it's, it's, it's a literary device, emphasis. I want you to know how much I'm praying for you, how often I'm praying for you. So maybe that's what Paul's doing here. That for by him, some, most things were created, some things were created in heaven and earth. You know, 
Maybe it's hyperbole. But Paul knocks that out of the park. He, he doesn't allow that assumption because we have this exhaustive list. You ready for it? Let's look at it again. Verse 16. In heaven. Everything in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether you can see it with your five senses, whether you can't at all, fits into that, court, that category. All things. But what about the things that we see as supreme? The Supreme Court. Kings. The things that usually make those calls. Those are, those are supreme things that we, we see here on earth. Is, is he even in charge of those things? Did he create those things? Let's continue. Whether thrones by him, dominions by him, rulers and authorities, all things were created by him. He doesn't leave any room. There's no room. All things were created through him. All right, so that means that when we look, look outside, Look through a telescope. He is, he is the source of all of these things. And not just, not just in the past, like at one point he created everything. He continues to be the source of all things. He is the one that holds the planets in orbit right now. He is the one that will eventually cause flowers to bloom in the spring. He, thank you Jesus, is the one responsible for having heat in this building this morning. Can I get an amen? amen. I walked in this morning. Jesus, thank you for the heat. This is through you. You are the source. So Christ is the supreme source, number three, of salvation. This is what brings us here today. It's supreme, that's how we're here initially. Source, that's how we continue to be here in general. But of salvation is what brings us to this building this morning. Is why we are here. The supreme source of salvation. Look at verse 19. For in him... All the fullness of God, there's a supremacy, fullness of God, complete God, was pleased to dwell through him, there's a source, to reconcile, here we go, all things to himself. There's a salvation. To reconcile. And not just some things, again, not just some things, all things. His blood on the cross was sufficient to reconcile all things. Reconciliation, it's a tough word. It's usually a buzzword that you, you try to shy away from. There's a lot of connotations. It could be, you know, you have two parties that are at enmity, that are, that are hostile towards each other. Two, two people, two parties, two cultures, whatever it is. It could be the person at work that you just can't stand for whatever reason. It could be the guy that cuts you off in traffic. How often does that happen in Chicago? I, I love having vi people visit Chicago, non-Chicagoans visit and drive in the city, just to remind myself that, oh, this isn't the norm. P people drive crazy here, and it's refreshing for me. That could be it, hostility. What about something a little bit weightier? Racial reconciliation. We got MLK coming up. Racial reconciliation. You got two parties that feel hostility towards each other. Could be subtle. Could be just looks. Could be just like, a, like an air of superiority. Could be an actual, literal war. Hostile. Reconciliation is that process of taking these two parties that have no business together and bringing them close, unifying them. He has reconciled all things. I read a story in Reader's Digest a couple weeks ago, and it's about a story, or it's about a lady named Mary Johnson. 
and she had a son. Some of you guys might know this story. She had a son, went to a party, teenager. Something happened at the party. Fight broke out. Son was shot and killed. The shooter, also at the party, his name was O'Shea, goes to prison. Now, I don't, I don't have a son. Someday, I pray that I'll have a little boy I can throw a baseball with. But I can just imagine that heartache, that pain, that anger that this lady is feeling towards O'Shea. I mean, she had something so dear to her, and he just came in and robbed it from her. Some of you may have lost some people. Just think about that. That anger, that hatred, that sorrow, that heartache, it's heavy. It weighs on you. So she went to the prison, so many unanswered questions. I don't even know what, if she, she went not knowing what to get from the, the situation. So she went, saw him in prison, and something happened in that moment. And I want to I read from an interview that, that she did. Because when I read this, it, it really broke me. I began to feel this movement in my feet. It moved up my legs. And it just moved up my body. When I felt it leave me, I instantly knew that all the anger and hatred and animosity that I had in my heart for you for 12 years was over. I had totally forgiven you. Imagine that, 12 years, you're holding on to this. And then all of a sudden, she just felt it. I've forgiven you. Are we not in that place? Did we not kill God, Jesus, the image of the invisible God? Aren't we in that place? Can you imagine his side of things? The shame, the guilt, the self-hatred, the low self-esteem. I killed this lady's son. I could go back and do anything to go back and take it back. So he's in this, in this pit of, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm ashamed. And she comes in and says, I forgive you. How? I can't, I can't imagine that. But not only that, not only did she forgive him, it's one thing to say words, I forgive you. I work next door with kids, and I bring them together. We're going to have some reconciliation. You apologize. You apologize. Accept his apology. I forgive you. Sorry. Whatever. That, that's how it goes. Is that? It's words. But not only that, but when he got out of prison, they lived in the same building. They were neighbors. They would hang out with each other. And get this, she would refer to him as son. Like that broke me to think that there is no reason why these two should be together. Do you think it was ever thought in his mind in prison to say, I wonder, I wonder if we'll, need, we'll be neighbors someday. I wonder if we'll hang out. I wonder if we'll have a good relationship. No, because he's over here. I killed her son. There's, I have no business being with her. Reconciliation. Things that were far away have been brought close. Think about Humble Park. Let's put it into context. There's hostility all over. 
Can you imagine that there's, let's get real, there's a wealthy majority moving into Humble Park, and it makes people who've lived here for generations feel like they're being ousted, that they, they can't stay here anymore. Do you think that's breeding ground for hostility? Two different groups just looking at each other and saying, there's no reason why we'd, we'd be together. You're the enemy. You're the one that's making me leave my home. So what does reconciliation look like there? To bring two things at animosity, two things that are enemies, bring them close. This is where Jesus comes in. He has now, verse 22, reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. Again, he attacks the false teaching of the Gnostics. By his body of flesh. He is man. He's God. But he's man. He's got flesh. He's not a spirit. He has now reconciled you. He is our great salvation. And, and not in a way of, oh, he's a salvation. He is a road. There are, there are many ways to the Father. This is just like a shinier one. No. This is the only way. Why? Why is this the only way? Because he is the supreme source of salvation. He's supreme. That's what it takes. He ranks number one. He's chief. Some of you have been looking at the screen and said, all right, so we have supreme source of salvation. But he definitely said four S's at the beginning, and the math's not adding up, you mathematicians out there. So our fourth S. So what? So what? So what, Jesus is supreme. That's a cute word to use on a Sunday morning. But I'm, I'm too busy over here being concerned about paying my bills so that I can keep the heat on in my house. Or, you know, I got this big exam coming up at school and I have to study so I can pass it. So, Jesus, you're supreme, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's going to have to take a back seat for a little bit until I can, you know, get my exam in order. Some of you be like, why would I believe a God that says he's reconciled all things when he can't even reconcile me with my parents or my mom, my dad, or a friend that I've not talked to in years? Why would I trust a God that can't even do that? And yet he, he says that he's reconciled me. It's hard for me to see reconciliation. Maybe you are one of those people that have grown up in this neighborhood and are feeling the weight of a wealthy majority moving in. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Why does this matter? Why should this affect how I leave the doors today? You know, I'm the one that has to study hard for that test. I'm the one that has to work really hard to pay these bills so that he can stay on in my house. I'm the one that if I choose, I have to take steps towards reconciling with my dad, with my mom, with my friend. These are all me. God's not going to do it. He's not stepped in. And if all I can do is okay, then that's, that's what I get. I'm just, okay is going to have to be enough here. I, can't, I don't need a supreme God. I just need to get by. Okay is enough for me today. I want to play a video clip to kind of explain a little bit of this analogy.
okay is not okay. Even AT&T will tell you. Sure, okay can get you by at your job. You can come in, put in your hours, check the box, go home. You did an okay job at work today. You're not going to get penalized for it. Okay can get you by on your cellular provider too, honestly. I've settled for okay. No offense to T-Mobile, but I've settled. <laughs> there are plenty of areas in your life where okay is, just, is going to be fine for you. It's going to get you by. You'll do great. But friends, not in matters of eternity. It cannot. Okay cannot cut it with matters of eternity. Someday, the Bible talks about how we appear before God. Not, not Pastor John, not the elders, not your parents, not the collective church here. You will stand before God. And we do this all the time. We say, God, you know, He's, he's looking for, like, what, what you got? Well, I have okay. Like, it got me by. I did the best I could. I tried to love people well. I worked hard. I prayed sometimes. I tried to love as best as I could, but um, he, here's what I got. Like, it's the best I could do, hoping that's going to get me by. And guess what? God, the Father, God, our judge, do you know what he's looking for? He's looking for supreme. He's not looking for your scraps. He's not looking for your efforts. He's looking for supreme. He's looking for top of the line, ranking number one, chief, goat. That's what he's looking for. That's what he requires. Not because he's some cruel, vicious puppet master that likes to play with you. It's because he's just. God is just. And he can't let sin go unpunished. So if you appear before God with your okay, not with supreme, he's going to say, that, that's not what brings you close to me. That's not what creates reconciliation between you and me. It's not your efforts. It's not your okay. So, going back to this verse, when it says, you were alienated, you were hostile, if you're coming to God with okay, you're still in that place of being alienated, of being hostile, being an enemy. And I don't want this message this morning to be a, well, I'm screwed when I leave this place. I've got no hope. I'm hostile towards God. I'm his enemy. Friends, that's, that's why we're here this morning is because we have the hope of the gospel. That we have been reconciled. That Jesus on the cross, becoming man, putting on flesh, that in the incarnation, puts on bone, puts himself on the cross, takes that hostility, takes that animosity, takes that I have no right being with him because I'm a killer. I'm a blasphemer. I'm a whatever it is, fill in the blank. I had an affair. I cheated on this person. I stole from my work. He took all of that. And in this strange mystery of the gospel, the gospel of hope, he reconciles it. 
He brings it close. He brings you and God together. That is Christ. He is our interceder. He is our go-between. He's our mediator. That's what he does. So some of you might be like, well, sure. You know, when I leave here today, how does that, how does that change me? Some of you in this room are like, I don't see Jesus as supreme. I don't see him as the supreme source of my salvation. I've been holding on to my own works to save me. Some of you might be new believers, recently baptized. Praise God. We, we get to celebrate with you guys. But there's a fear of like, oh no, I've, no, I've known people in this place. And then they fall away and now they're far from God. I don't, and I'm scared. Because I don't, I don't want that to be me. Right now I'm grasping the hope of the gospel. But who knows, two years from now, three years from now, ten years from now. So what's, what's our response? How do, we, how do we go about seeing Jesus as supreme? How do we change this? Well, you have a role in this, people of God. You have a role in this. Let's look at verse 23. Isaac told me, he's like, don't you skip over this verse, so I'm not going to. We're going to sit on this for a minute. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith with stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Hold on to the hope of the gospel. Some of you have been seasoned Christians for a long time. And I want you to ask yourself, where, where are you wavering? Where are you unstable? They're like, I got my whole life lined up, but, you know, my, my marriage, I'm, I'm wavering in that. Or my finances, I'm unstable. Or in loving other Christians, how many of you can say amen to that? It's hard to love other Christians. I don't know why, but it's just, it's, uh, I'm not stable in it. I'm wavering. I don't want to. So I want to invite the worship team to come on up. I want to invite our prayer team to come out to the sides. And I want you to think about this, because you might be in one of these places of, God, I, I'm still in that place of hostility. I'm still in that place where I have not been reconciled with you. And I want to be. I don't want to stand before God, the judge, and hand him okay. Some of you might even be Christians and say, right now I'm, I'm working on okay. The, the engine is burning on fumes. I just, I don't want to give him my scraps. Like, I, I want Jesus to be supreme in my life. Here's the thing. You will not see Jesus as, or you will not serve Jesus as supreme if you don't see Jesus as supreme. Some of you might be in this place of beliefism of like, well, I prayed one time, and God said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God is raised from the dead. I believe all of that, so I must be good, right? I can live however I want. Is that what Paul says here? To say a prayer, and then you're, you'll be good? No, he says, John, even Oscar this morning was talking about it, in the book of James, even the demons believe, and they tremble. I think the demons, they tremble. They, they, 
are more in fear and in reverence of God than we are because they see and know him as supreme. Think about that. Even the demons, they see and know him as supreme. And, and that's to their doom because they fit in that category of all things. He created all things, visible and invisible. Demons are that invisible category. But that should be a comfort to us because, like he says in verse 22, the peace of God, he brings us that peace. We can be at peace. It, it doesn't have to be this hostility anymore. So maybe that's you. It's like, oh, I, I believed it, but now I'm realizing that that's not enough to, to say that I believe in you, Jesus. It's to serve. And not in a way of doing works. Again, because that's, that's another false teaching, that doing your work saves you. Here's what it is. This, is. this is the point. It is to hold on to the gospel. And how do you do that? You let the gospel hold you. You wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, you need to hold me this morning. I don't want to love other Christians. You need to hold me this morning. I'm wavering in my marriage. You need to hold me this morning. I, I feel such anger towards people that are moving in and pushing me out. So I don't know where you are at this morning, but people who've walked in and never heard of the name of Jesus before, all the way up to, I know Jesus well, but I'm, I'm unstable in this area. I want to invite you guys to come up and, and pray with our prayer leaders and say, Jesus, I want to see you as supreme. And not even just as supreme, ranking number one, being chief, but I want, I want to see you as the supreme source of my salvation today. So as we sing, as we play, come forward. The altar's open.